What's poppin' y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Heliocentric Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. And today's episode, we got a lot to unpack, man. I'm reintroducing my less is more theory. We got the Kelly Oubre situation, Tyrese Maxey dropping 50. There's a lot going on around the league, so the basketball menu is full today. Before we dive into all of that, though, I just want to remind everybody at home, make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy this type of content, make sure you subscribe. For my YouTube and audio listeners, Head over to whichever platform you use for podcasts and go leave me a five-star review and like. I appreciate all of the love and support over these last few weeks. Thank y'all. Now, like I said, there's a lot to talk about on the basketball menu. Um, a lot of different teams, a lot of different players, a lot of different situations that we're going to unpack. A couple of disclaimers I want to put out there. First and foremost, we are only at most 11 games into the season. I think the most games played by a team is maybe the Pistons and the Warriors at 11. So we still have 70 games left to play in the NBA. So the disclaimer I'm putting out there is they're still early, but 10 games, 11 games in, we're using the information that we have. So, you know, that's a proper thing to keep in mind where we don't want to over-exaggerate we don't want to take things into too much context. We know different things can change throughout the course of leagues, but we definitely have to start acknowledging certain things, being concerned about certain things and applauding other things. And if they change throughout the course of the season, we'll acknowledge it. We'll discuss it and we'll talk about it. If they stay the same, we'll continue to applaud it and support it and be excited and intrigued. But I just want to put that out there. I think that's one of the hardest things for us basketball people in the community to kind of figure it out if, if is it too early to talk about this this is going good but you know they got it's like the fine line and balance between too early and there's a lot of basketball left some teams deserve to get applaud some some players deserve to get applaud or criticize um either or back and forth so i just want to put that out there and the last thing that i want to say is because it's 30 teams do not feel bad when your team isn't getting mentioned or a player you like isn't getting mentioned. Every time I do an episode, somebody's like, but what about this? What about that? I go on Twitter and I applaud one team and they're like, but what about my team? Don't be that person. Do not be that person, please. There's 30 teams in the NBA. Most of us basketball creators and talkers will probably touch on one of them. There's a, there's enough people talking about basketball to where your team is going to get acknowledged. You can't expect everybody on every podcast and every YouTube channel to directly talk about your team at the proper diet that you think um, is reasonable. So I just want to put those things out there. But other than that, the first thing I want to say is get well soon to Kelly Uber Jr. Uh, I remember a few days ago, I believe it was Friday um, or no, Saturday, excuse me. I'm at a release party for an artist um, on my that's a part of my Rich Vision um, establishment. And um, I'm chilling, I'm doing my thing and I get an alert. That says breaking news from like Woj or Shams or whoever. And I'm seeing Kelly Oubre's name in it. And I'm knowing Kelly Oubre can't, couldn't have gotten traded. Um, he's already been signed. So what could be breaking? And then I see car accident. But I can't see the whole tweet on my phone because it's not, unlo- it's not, it's not unlocked. So I'm going into a panic like, yo, hold up. What, what am I about to read? And, you know, initially it was just that he got hit by a car. And, you, you know, there was no... Uh, reporting on his condition or what's going on. It was just that he was rushed to the hospital. And as a fan of basketball, um, you know, that was that was a little scary. That was a little scary. We're in, we're in real weird times right now in the world where a lot of crazy and strange things are going on. So to see a player 
you know, get hit by. We, you, it's just that we just don't get that type of news. That's not normal. That's the only thing I'm going to say. It's not normal. So it caught me off guard. It was a weird situation. I don't even want to say it was scary because he's doing well. And shortly after the reporting came out that he was cool, got to the hospital taken care of, um, and he was in stable stable condition. But when I first saw it, it was definitely something that was just like off guard. Caught me off guard. Caught a lot of different people off guard. I saw Nick Nurse speak about it uh, yesterday. Good to hear that Kelly Oubre is doing good, but definitely um, a weird, interesting, and I guess it is okay to say a scary situation. Um, you know, the 76ers described it as traumatizing, which I um, am, am sure that's how they feel over there. But you just you just don't want to see anything like that. And, you know, it puts things in perspective because we play such a or we're a part of such an amazing, beautiful game. And all of these dudes, they have good games. They have bad games. We give them flowers. We criticize them. We say what they should be doing better. Um, but Kelly Oubre is one of those guys who's a good who's a good dude. I've heard only good, th- good things about him. Um, his teammates love him. Tyrese Maxey said just met him uh, as he joined the Sixers and already love him. So. You know, we got to remember that there is a human element, a part of the game. So we definitely want to see Kelly Oubre get well and return. Um, Outside of that, though, I want to stay on the topic of the Philadelphia 76ers. Years ago, I, on a Through the Wire podcast, introduced a theory that I created on my own. I forget where it came from. Um, It's just very simple and, and, you know, self-explanatory. But the less is more theory. And I developed this theory with the Boston Celtics because there was one point in time where the Boston Celtics had just drafted Jason Tatum. They had already had Jalen Brown. They had already drafted Marcus Smart. Then you talk about they had acquired Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward. You had Marcus Morris, Al Horford. Um, I'm trying to make sure I don't forget anybody. But there was a lot of people on that team out there in Boston. And there was a time where Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving, both at the same time, were injured. And the team was still thriving. This is rookie year, Jason Tatum. That team goes to the Eastern Conference Finals. They fight, they battle, they're tough, and they lose to an all-time great LeBron James um, in seven games. And instantly, what a lot of people in the basketball world was saying and projecting was, man, this team did that without Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving? When they come back, that team is going to be scary. This team also had Terry Ogier. That's who I was forgetting. It's like, man, they're going to have everything. They're going to have depth, guys coming off the bench. You got, you know, young Jason Tatum. He's going to take a step. Brown is going to take a step. This team is going to be dangerous. And I remember being one of the people on the podcast, and a lot of people thought I was, quote, unquote, hating. This is why we got to remember why why hating is not, you know, (laughs) it's not a good term to use. When somebody is using analysis. Now, if somebody's going out of their way to down talk your team on any occasion, that's hating. But if somebody's just analyzing or giving their analysis on a certain situation, then that's just them, you know, trying their best to use the information in front of them. And I was one of the people, the few people that was like, hey, I don't know if that's going to be a guarantee. Everybody just thinking about adding pieces to the pot. But we're not looking at the other side of it. There's two sides to everything, but especially in basketball. When you add something, you have to take away something. There is no world where only something is getting added. You bring in Kyrie Irving, is Jason Tatum getting the same type of shots, the same amount of shots? Is it in the same type of flow of the offense? What about Terry Rozier? 
Not a, add Gordon Hayward. That's even less shots for everybody else. That's that's another person to get acclimated with on the floor as far as spots and comfortability and flow and who you're guarding, where, where you're going to be, and the type of sets where the minutes. All of that came and conflicted every single thing. And sure enough, the season rolled around and the Boston Celtics had, I don't want to say it was disappointing, but they didn't have the type of season that a lot of people had projected for a team that had just went to the Eastern Conference Finals as an extremely young team on the back of a rookie. And then you add an all-NBA caliber player in Kyrie Irving and an all-star level player in Gordon Hayward and you don't lose anything. That team did not do anything near what they did the year before. And we got a chance to see in real time, yeah, it's not as simple as just you add pieces and names and it just blows up all over the place and explodes into a championship. It just doesn't work like that. And the reason I'm reintroducing that theory is because the latest big trade that we just seen applies to both teams. You have the Philadelphia 76ers who traded away James Harden, an all-time great, a former MVP, a guy who was a system at one point in time, a guy who even in his latter years, as we saw last year, led the league in assists um, and is still a respected player as far as his playmaking um, and his basketball mind as far as running offenses in James Harden. And you see a Clippers team add that with Kawhi, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, you know what I mean? And it sounds like this four-headed monster out there in L.A., and they also talented. There's no way that they can't make this work. They have to be able to figure it out. Tyron Lue, a guy that, you know, coached LeBron um, and, and the Cavaliers when they had a, a lot of different mouths to feed and different things like that. He's coached Paul George and Kawhi over the course of years. He just implemented Russell Westbrook last year, so he has some history and experience on making these big-name figures work. And like I said in the intro, disclaimer, there's still a lot of basketball left. Tyron Lue did say he needs 10 games. Give him 10 games, which I agree with. I'm willing to even give them more because there is so much basketball left. But based on the small sample size that we have seen, less is more continues to win this conversation. The less is more theory is the way NBA teams need to start thinking. The Philadelphia 76ers are striving. They're 8-1. and one. They're in an eight-game winning streak. They're at the top of the Eastern Conference. Joel Embiid is playing like an MVP again. And this kid, Tyrese Maxey, is not only breaking out, but breaking out in, in a crazy way. A lot of us saw the MIP uh, writings on the wall and the potential there. He's basically ran off with that award within the first month of the season. Even with the Scotty Barnes chatter over the last couple of weeks, I was saying, hey, Love what Scotty Barnes is doing. No way he beats out Tyrese Maxey for that award. And last night, Tyrese Maxey solidified that 50-point game, um, career-high night, uh, just absolutely incredible against the Indiana Pacers. He made shot after shots, um, a pure 50 game. And what I mean by a a, a pure 50 gamer is Tyrese Maxey, he didn't shoot uh, 17 free throws. He didn't have 15 free throw attempts. He didn't have 10 free throw attempts. Last time I had saw, he had three free throw attempts. I watched it in real time. He may at the end of the game shot like two more with the foul situation. He may have ended with like five free throws, but still to have 50 plus points in the game or 50 at all and not have double digit free throws means you was really out there getting buckets. You was really out there hooping. You was really out there scoring um, 
and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Tyrese Maxey. I'm sure we'll talk about him the entire season. But the point is, you lost a guy who led the league in assists last year. You lost a starter for you, a guy that was your quote-unquote second-best player last year in James Harden. This team was supposed to take a major step back. This team was not supposed to look how they're looking. Even if they were 8-1, and one, um, or even if they, not to say that they were supposed to be at the bottom of the Eastern Conference or that they were going to fall out of the playoff uh, pitch or anything like that, but they weren't supposed to start off 8-1 and one at the top of the East being one of the best teams, if not the best team right now in the NBA. They were supposed to look away. They were supposed to look like they're missing something, that something isn't there, and we just don't see that. And even from a wins and losses perspective, just by watching with your eye, so take out wins and losses, take out stats, forget that Max even had 50, right? Just forget the numbers for one second. When you watch the 76ers, there's just a different rhythm going on, and I'll say. There's a difference in rhythm. They look more free. They look like they're having a lot more fun, and I'm, I don't want to pin all of this on James Harden because they do have a new maestro head coach calling the shots and uh, Nick Nurse, who is implementing himself into what they're doing. This isn't like one of those situations where you get a team and you can't really tell the difference between the last coach and the new coach. No, the offense looks different. Um, and it looks like it's going to be a lot harder to guard than the past. And I think part of that is Nick Nurse. And I think also part of that is not having James Harden. James Harden is a great player, but he brings a sense of predictability because there is a certain way he likes to play and loves to play and has always played. And I think with Maxi, he's a little bit newer. You're right. We don't we don't have as much information on Maxi as we do Harden. But I think he's also probably the best fit. That we've seen next to Joel Embiid. We've seen Jimmy. We've seen Ben. We've seen James Harden. We've seen Tobias Harris. But Tyrese Maxey is extremely dynamic because he's fast. So he wants to get up and down. Which was like Ben. But he can also shoot it efficiently across the board. And he said at the post-game interview yesterday that him and Joel Embiid have the big brother, little brother relationship. And a lot of times, you know, Embiid is on his ass for passing up certain looks. And not shooting certain shots. And that just tells you the importance and the respect that Joel Embiid has for him. Because it's like, dog, you got to shoot the basketball. (laughs) I have experience playing with a guy who wasn't shooting the basketball. I need you to shoot it because you can shoot it. And when you are shooting it, it opens up the game so much. Joel Embiid is already a guy who every time he's on the floor, two people have to account for where he's at at all times. He's like past double team. You know, double team is when you have the ball and two people are there. He is a double team in the sense of two people are always going to be looking at where he's at, right? Even if he ain't got the ball yet, whoever's close to him has to be aware that when he gets the ball, you need to go over there and help whoever is guarding him. So just theoretically, that's already in defenders of mind and the defense. He's causing that much attention. And that's just two people at the least. There are some nights where all five defenders have to account for what Joel Embiid is, especially because he's playing from everywhere uh, with Nick Nurse at the top elbow block wherever and when Tyrese Maxey is now making those shots you now have to account for him and he has range and he can shoot it from every place on the floor efficiently you certain you have certain guys who shoot it really good in the corner you have guys who shoot it really good above the break guys who shoot it good off the catch guys who shoot really only good off the dribble Maxey does it all he's efficiently elite off the catch off the dribble corners above the break wing historically throughout his career he shot the basketball like a rock star from every place on the floor and his attacking um, and finishing looks magnificent 
His pace has always been there. You love the pace that he plays with. And he's protecting the basketball while distributing it around the board for the Philadelphia 76ers. So I'm loving everything that Maxie is doing. But more so than anything, you took away an integral piece, which on paper should hurt you. But in theory, less is more. So with less mouths to feed, with less ego, less responsibility of making sure we have to account for this person now we just out here rocking out and we hooping. We free. We don't have to make sure this is happening for James Harden to be comfortable and for him to be in his rhythm. We remove that, and now we just rocking out. Maxi, do you. Tobias, you doing you. And obviously, this revolves around Embiid, and we just pushing, 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 pushing. And now we 8-1. We look like we're having as much fun as we've had in years. I don't. Again, I'm not just trying to pin all of this on James Harden, but they just look like they're they're in a different type of spirit and i was a guy that was saying just a week ago like yeah philly doing a thing it's all good but we gotta we gotta wait till we see what the playoffs we gotta wait because this is this ain't nothing new but no i'm starting to look at this team different because a part of me slightly forgot that yeah this team is different in a lot of different ways yeah they don't have james harden but they also have a new head coach the offense is different you still got joel and b playing at the mvp level this team, this team is different, and they're playing with a chip on their shoulders. I think there's pressure um, that's removed because there isn't anything like, oh, we got to make this happen. I think they're secure in the fact that they have Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. I think for a lot of different times, it was about getting past the Ben situation and trying to obviously maximize that in, as far as return and what you get for trading him. And then you got Harden, and obviously Harden was a, uh, was a lot older. But it was still the pressure of we got to make something happen while we have Harden right now because he's getting older and his value is all over the place. And if we're not winning championships, how do we value him and different things like that? But now I think because you look at this team as far as you have Embiid, you have Maxi, And that's for sure because Maxi is young. He's affordable right now. You have the money to pay him. He's showing you that he's going to be worth what you're getting him for. And everything else can just fall in line from there. And I think that takes away a lot of pressure because the James Harden shit is like we're investing a lot of money. We had to bring on this dude, P.J. Tucker, his homie. (laughs) Um, We even brought in Daniel House. He's older, so we have this little window. And if we don't maximize it, that could eventually have Joel Embiid go out the door. But I think this kind of reassures you to where this is something you can build over for the next Seven years. Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, they're a young enough duo to where you can thug this out and you can just build around them properly, especially with the money that you opened up after this year because of the trade. You're going to have almost two max spots, potentially two max spots opened up to bring in some guy to re-sign Maxey to the big extension he's going to get. And then you have to start looking on the other side or around the league. What happens with OG Ananobi? You know, him and Nick Nurse have a relationship. The Nets, how much of believers are they in, in Mikael Bridges? I'm just throwing that out there. Um, Zach Levine is out there. I Do I think they need to go after a guy like Zach Levine? No, but he'll be out there. Um, and then you got some guys over here on the other side that we're going to talk about who could potentially be a free agency too. On the other side of this trade, the Los Angeles Clippers. They're on a five-game losing streak right now. They're on four since the James Harden trade. He's played in the last four games. He hasn't gotten a win yet as a as a Los Angeles Clipper. Um, they're a negative 67 with Harden on the floor. 
minus 67. And there are plus 24 when he's on the bench. Again, like I said in the intro, disclaimer, there's a lot of basketball left to play. There's a lot. They've only played four games. Tyron Lue came out, said it early. Got to give us 10 games. I'm willing to give them 15 to 20. Because even 20 games in, you'll still have 50 plus games left in the season to figure things out. Right. And this is a lot. This isn't throwing in a shooter. This is this isn't throwing in, you know, just another score. This is James Harden, who, like I said, when I talked about Philadelphia, he plays a certain way. There's a certain predictability and a certain style that we've always seen every single place he's gone that he has to play in. Um and whether he changes or not, that's yet to be seen. But if he is going to change, we do have to be understanding that it is going to take some time. For example, that was a play yesterday where I saw Kawhi Leonard doing his thing. And him and James Harden were on the same side of the floor. James Harden was in the corner with his hands gripping on his shorts by the knees. That's not a position that you're in when you're playing off the ball. You have to be a threat. If you have your hands on your shorts grabbing at the knees how are you where do you how can you be a threat that's not a position to cut from that's not a ready to catch and shoot position that that isn't a threat at all I don't care who you are as a basketball player you could be the Michael Jordan the greatest player of all time if you are in the corner with your hands on your knees grabbing your shorts you are not a threat to do anything from that position And those are the things that are like eye catching because then you remember he's not used to that. So it's like, do I even fault him on? Like, I don't obviously you fault him and you look like, man, what are you doing? Be ready to catch or shoot the basketball, be a threat, be ready to cut anything, move. You know what I'm saying? You want to be in a basketball position to keep your defender um, honest. You want your defender to feel like, hey, I don't know if I should help. I don't know if I'm guard. You want to, you want to. You want to make you want to victimize him. You want to take advantage of your defender. And what that means is if he goes over and helps too much with Kawhi, shit, you backdoor now. Or you space up so he can kick it out to you. And when your guy tries to recover on you, you're in a whole different spot. He's recovering to the corner. You done moved up to the to the wing, and now he's all over the place. And now you attack that because he's gonna run at you, jump, close out poorly, and now. You got a five on four. He's out of the plays behind you. Somebody else has not helped. And now you're manipulating the defense. They're all over the place. And because y'all have as many weapons, y'all keep that ball flowing. Paul George got an open three. Kawhi got a pull up J, whatever, a dunk. Russ cutting. There's just so many different things that can happen if they're all engaged and keeping their defenders honest. Because there is a lot of talented basketball players and minds on that floor. Kawhi Leonard is a machine, especially in the mid-range area. And he can catch and shoot the basketball occasionally. Is he is he J.J. Redick? No, because you don't even want him to play like that throughout the course of an entire game. But he's also not a guy who's just not going to be guarded because he doesn't have the basketball in his hands. He's respectable as a catch and shoot threat. Wonderful in the mid range. Russ is a, a, a pit bull who's ready to put his effort on full display, whether it's crashing offensive glass, attacking relentlessly to the cup. Um, he can shoot it out the corner. Paul George is lights out with the basketball as an ISO uh, offensive player, catching, shooting, coming down, pin downs, um, all of that. And then James Harden, 
He's a maestro, pick and roll, getting easy things. Those are some of the things that I did enjoy seeing, and I do believe we should give them time because there are certain things that I saw that I liked. It just didn't work for them last night, and that's also a part of a part of this and why it's tough for them because they're 0-4 and everything is about to get scrutinized. But last night, they lost to a bad team, the Grizzlies, who only had one, one game, uh, one win, which is why this is kind of like emphasized. But I liked the Kawhi... James Harden pick and roll. I did. Did they operate and score out of it? And did it, you know, uh, turn into baskets like you would like? No. But I like some of the things that I've seen in that. I like some of the shots that I've seen. And, of course, it is possessions where I'm scratching my head. And I'm like, I don't like that at all. Like the James Harden holding his shorts. There are certain possessions where Kawhi Leonard was just in the corner. Was he holding his shorts, grabbing at his knees like James Harden? No. But Kawhi Leonard is just too valuable of a basketball player to just have in a corner for an entire possession. And I've seen that a couple times. And a couple of them were baskets. Paul George was cooking throughout that game. He had some shots. But at the same time, it's just like I think there's more you can do than have Kawhi just run to a corner and sit there for an entire possession. Um, and vice versa. There was possessions where you see Russell Westbrook just kind of standing because he's not a guy who's used to being, you know, um, this off-ball threat. So I think they have their work cut out for them. But this may be a situation where the less is more theory hurts them in the long run. Because they have so many mouths to feed. They have so many different types of styles that they have to have be cohesive. Maybe the better move with, was for them was to try to continue to pursue Malcolm Brogdon, who could come in and, and play next to those guys, um, willing to defend, do things that isn't necessarily involved with scoring. James Harden is kind of one-sided. He needs the basketball, and he has to be a, you know, a, a guy who's either scoring or assisting. And that means that a lot of other people have to sit and watch and kind of play around him. And at this stage and point of his career, I don't know if that's the most effective way to win basketball games, especially when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who are still all NBA players. They're still top players in his league. James Harden is still a really good player, but I think Paul, I think uh, James Harden is like all-star level. You know what I mean? Um, and Russell Westbrook is not all-star level anymore, unfortunately. So um, they have some decisions to make. Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, um, that's going to be something that I'm going to keep my eye on. There was a time yesterday where Russ came off the floor uh, late in the game, and his body language and say that he was happy about that. I read something that Kawhi Leonard showed some frustrations throughout the course of the game yesterday as well. And rightfully so, because they are not a team, no matter what, that should be losing at home to a Grizzlies team who had only had one win, um, you know, prior to that. So I'm trying to be patient. I'm, I'm, I'm really am. They're 12th right now in the West. They're three and six. Um, they don't have a win on the road. They have not won a road game um, all year long. That's, that has to be concerning. And this is, again, this is not a conference out West where you want to fall behind too much, man. It's it's really not. OKC is doing a thing at 6-4. and four. Minnesota is playing different basketball right now. We'll talk about them. Houston is looking side. And I get it. It's only 10, 11 games into the season. But still, in my opinion, this is not a year where you want to fall too far behind a ball. And I'm saying that for every team. I'm saying that for the Clippers. I'm saying that for the Suns. 
I'm saying that for the 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 Lakers. Um, this is this is just not one of those years, in my opinion, especially with how many players could potentially be traded. This ain't that year. Uh, but for the Clippers, less is more theory. We're watching that. And also, I think the NBA should be on notice. The super team era just might not be it, man. It might not be it. I like pairings. I like, you know, getting two good, really guy, really good guys who mesh together and can um can coexist. And then I like putting role players around that. Like really trying to get high level role players and supporting that. Um, because the, these big fours and big threes. Those days just don't seem to be the way unless you're doing it at an astronomical level like the Warriors did when they had 73 wins and then added Kevin Durant. Uh, this past year, the, the Celtics kind of did it. I look at that. I don't look at their team as like the typical super team. They are a super team in my mind, but it's like because everything meshes together. They're all high level players. Drew Holiday, Derek White, Tatum Brown, Porzingis, like all of those dudes are high level at what they do, but it's not like we took three of the top five players or three top 10 players and put them on one team. You know, the Suns wouldn't got Durant with Booker and Beal. It just feels like you threw names together and talent together and like, we'll figure it out. Where the Celtics, they are on the same type of time as far as all of these guys being super, super good, but they all fit. It's more so fit and talent versus let's just get a bunch of talented guys, throw them on one team, and say, we'll figure it out. That's what the Clippers are doing. That's what the Suns have have done. That's what the Nets did when they had Durant, Kyrie, and Harden. That shit didn't work out. Like, we're seeing this not potentially be the go-to anymore. I know in the 2010s, this was a thing when the Heat did it. And like I said, the Warriors did it. Um, The Cavs did it with LeBron, Kyrie, and they will love however you want to dice that up or look at that. But that don't seem to really be the move. It seems to be to have that guy and to add somebody next to him. If you can't draft both, go out and acquire one and then put high level talent around them and just push and go and have continuity, chemistry, flow and all of that versus we'll figure it out because we have a bunch of talent. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking at the Philadelphia 76ers with Embiid and Maxi. Um, I'm looking around at the. Um, the the Timberwolves with Edwards and Cat, but I mean Rudy is being a defensive player of the year type of guy. Um, and there's a lot of other other situations around the league that's I can't. This I'm getting I'm drawing a blank. But even hell, the Dallas Mavericks, you got Kyrie and Luca, and everybody else is like high level quality role players. And right now it's working. I don't know how it's going to pan out at the end of the year. But right now it's working. And I'm sure a lot of y'all in the comments are going to be like, "What? Uh, you forgot this team. You forgot that team. So, yeah, y'all drop those teams that I'm forgetting in the comments where it's just like we got two good building blocks and everybody around, everybody else is just high-level role players and we're thriving and winning like that. The, the Nuggets. The Nuggets have like the guy in Jokic. You have his sidekick in Jamal Murray and everybody else is high-level role players. You know, Aaron Gordon is amazing. Probably one of the, the the best non-all-star players in the league. KCP, 3 and D, Supreme, uh, MPJ, Sniper. Like, the Nuggets have it down to a T. I don't know how they weren't the first team that came to my mind. But the Nuggets, they really have that approach. So, I'm, I'm the less is more theory is also rest in peace to the super teams. And after this year, if the Clippers don't work out, don't know how the Suns is going to look. But if they, you know what I'm saying, 
Like, I think the league should just say, okay, we're past that. It's too much parity. It's too much talent to try to just overpower with just a collective of talent. You need cohesion. You need structure. You need fit. You need complementary players. Like, those are the sought-after guys right now. The Jaden McDaniels, the OG Ananobis, you know what I'm saying? In Phoenix, the Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnsons, those were the difference makers where you have that Devin Booker, but you also have guys that complement his weaknesses and guys who complement his strengths on the other side of the uh, other side of the basketball. So um, those are the those are the things that we're looking at with the less is more theory. And um, continue to let me know if there's any other teams or things out there that you see that can fit the less is more theory because that's something that we're gonna have to ingrain. I, I brought it up with the Celtics. We let it kind of wash away over those years, and now we're bringing it back up. The less is more theory is maybe something we can continue to apply um, throughout a lot of different situations. So y'all let me know about that. Moving on for the Philadelphia 76ers and the Clippers. Other teams around the league that have caught my eye in a positive way or a negative way. Um, Let's start with the other Los Angeles team. The Lakers have real concerns. I came into the year saying I want to respect the Lakers because they had a really good turnaround last year and they went into the playoffs and they did their thing up until the, the point where they got swept and bounced. Um, but they, they had a stronger ending and stronger finishing to the year than the beginning where they looked god awful. They were down there with the Rockets at one point throughout the first like 15 to 16 games last season. They were like two and 14. It was horrible. It was bad. They made moves. They readjusted, they got on the right track, and they were impressive in the playoffs up to the fact of them getting swept. I'm not going to be the guy that said, me, but they were hanging around every game. They got swept, but it's cool. It's cool. The thing I want to talk about is the fact that LeBron James is the oldest player in the, in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Him or Jeff Green. Over there, he one of the oldest players in the league. And this team is still depending on him to play Real minutes, night by night. Like, they have to find ways for him and Anthony Davis to generate easy wins. Every single game for the Lakers. And as a fan, I enjoy it. Every single game has to be a nail-biter. It has to be theatrics. It has to be the Lakers were winning and, oh, man, they gave up the lead or they're getting blown out. Now they come back. It's like they have to find out easier paths to generate wins so that these two men don't have to put on miles before we even get to the playoffs. If LeBron James has to play real fourth-quarter minutes, this team you know, is, is cooked. If he has to play 35 minutes a night, for them to just survive he's been playing crazy already to start the year this team is one and five on the road they're four and five on the season um defensively they're 18th 26 offensively and they're 16th in pace they don't really have an identity as far as what they're super great at they don't have anybody to lean on outside of ad and lebron james and I just don't know who's their third piece or that 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 X factor for them on a night out night basis. Obviously, it's supposed to be Austin Reeves. He's been coming alive the last few games. Happy to see that. Hopefully, that can be what what we're getting for the rest of the year. But so far, throughout the first nine games, one night is D'Angelo Russell. One night is Austin Reeves. One night is Torian Prince. One night you're depending on Cam Reddish. He's been doing good defensively. His offense is starting to step up as well. 
but they just need some consistency with this group of guys and the entirety of the group because, again, you're going to run down Anthony Davis and LeBron James before y'all even get to the playoffs. And the playoffs is going to be a legitimate dogfight. Every round, you're getting a team that is good enough to beat you. There is no there is no bye weeks this year. There's not going to be any bye series. Even for the top seeds, the Nuggets can get the number one seed out west. The AFC can be a very competent team who will take you there if you allow them to. It's not going to be any pushovers, I don't think. Not in my opinion. And the Lakers, starting off like this, and like I said, one and five on the road is extremely concerning. You do not want to be a team that cannot get wins on the road. Um, because if you continue to play the way that you're going to play, you're not going to be a top seed and you're going to you're going to be, you know, on the road. You have to win some games on the road to 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 advance in the playoffs. So I don't know what the Lakers are going to do. I find like they found themselves, I feel like they found themselves in a situation year in and year out where we get off to poor starts. There's drama. There's whispers. There's already rumors linked to who you guys are going to trade for. And then you're going to have to reacclimate that player. You're going to got, got to get him repositioned to, into the dynamic of the hierarchy. And normally that's a few players for a few players. So now you add two or three guys and you got to put them in a the mix. And they got to find out how they fit next to LeBron and how they fit next to Anthony Davis. And that whole thing of gelling and meshing. It worked last year. But like year in, year out, doing that roster turnover, I don't know how effective that is for winning in the long term. And for a team that I thought had a pretty good offseason, because you brought back Julie, uh, you brought back D'Angelo Russell, you brought back Rui Hachimura, you brought back Austin Reeves, you still got Vando, um, you brought in Torian Prince, Jackson Hayes, Cam Reddish. Um, I just thought that they had some things there that I liked a lot. I don't know. I don't know. You respect them because they have LeBron James, and you tip your cap off to say when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you'll figure it out. But I'm not even concerned about figuring it out for the regular season. I'm thinking about how you're positioning yourselves for the playoffs. And my thing for them was you come out because you already have continuity because a lot of these guys, majority, play with each other in the playoffs. You come out hot to start the year, and then you can coast a little bit, and then when you have to, you step on the gas a little bit here. You chill out. Step on the gas a little bit there. Anthony Davis, Mike can chill here. Bron Bron can chill here. Last night was good that they were able to get the win without Bron, but damn, the Blazers really pushed y'all like that. They came back on y'all constantly and made it a game. Those are the type of wins that I say you need easy wins. So, hey, Anthony Davis, Mike can sit out the last five, four minutes of the game. You might can have something where the starters can get a little break, but no, these guys always find a way to make a game um primetime television as far as you got to tune in because the lakers just blew a lead they had an 11 point lead going into the fourth trailblazers come out on a 12 or run it's the same story so looking at the lakers um and i'm 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 definitely prepared for them to try to make a move if things don't don't work out that's just the lakers way rob palenka is probably working the phones right now i know we joke about that type of stuff on twitter and you see memes and different things like that that's the laker way Another team to talk about on the losing end. The Warriors 
I'm concerned. I'm, I'm really concerned. Another team that I came in giving respect to, giving benefit of the doubt to, because they are the Warriors. They have Steph Curry. They have their, you know, their main core. They added some veteran presence in Chris Paul, Dario Saric. They brought back GP2. I love this team when they're not really dependent on just straight up youth off the bench. Corey Joseph is another uh, older veteran mind out there. I didn't think he was going to be like this big um, impactful player, but just because he was another vet who has won and came from the Spurs and, you know, won a championship and things like that. Um, I thought he was going to be, you know, an, another nice ma- mind and voice to have in that locker room. But this team is on a, currently on a three, three game losing streak. They're winning on the road, which was a struggle last year. They're five and two on the road, but now they can't win at home. They're one and three at home. And my biggest thing is Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is not here. And we're going to talk about him later in the episode when I highlight individual players, whether I'm giving them flowers or I'm doing a reproach, which we're taking a look in and we're, we're looking at what's going on. Andrew Wiggins just hasn't been good for the, the, the Warriors at all, at all. And he was a big piece in that championship run two years ago. He was a big piece that made you feel confident to be able to move on from things. He was a big piece that we mentioned when you talk about Klay Thompson not being the same Klay Thompson. But it's like, oh, you still got Wiggins and he can defend and he'll score and can get his own here and there. He's doing his thing, always locked in defensively, trying to give you his effort. But as far as scoring, yo, what he's giving you now is unacceptable for the price you're paying for him. For the role that he has, his importance to the team, he has to be better. And I don't know what's going on in his personal life. Obviously, he missed a, a bunch of time last year. Um, something was going on with, with some family stuff. Um, and definitely was happy to see him return to the basketball court because I'm guessing that family stuff got resolved. Uh, it was rumors about his dad or whatever. And hopefully everything is going good there. But as far as basketball and its impact on his team, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. They already don't have size. He was the guy that was big on offensive rebounding glass with Kevon Looney and that that playoff run. Um, they were cleaning the glass. He was also beyond that. Obviously, their wing defender because you don't expect Klay Thompson in these days to be that like he used to. And then lastly, Wiggins was always and still a guy, potentially, I hope, that you can throw the ball to in certain situations he can get his own. Certain times out that playoff stretch where they won a championship where Steph went on a bench and the offense was out there, the bench, some of the bench was out there on offense and things weren't happening. And you can give it to Wiggins and he can create his own with seven seconds left on the shot clock. A play doesn't turn out the way it needs to, and the ball ends up in Wiggins' hands and he can go get you one. He can get some shit in the mid-range. He can go and attack the cup, get to the free throw line. We're just not seeing that right now. And if he's not giving you that, this team, I don't know where they get that from. They don't have a Jordan Poole coming off the bench anymore. Jonathan, Jonathan Kaminga has been cool, but he still ain't been like out of this world. I'm st- I'm still doing this with some with him and Moody. Like it's been cool, but it ain't been like oh man, that make me feel good. No, uh, uh-uh. so I don't know what what to feel or how I, how I'm processing the Warriors right now. But if Andrew Wiggins don't turn it around, I don't think I look at them with the same type of respect or same type of um, same type of, I don't want to say respect because you always respect them, but I don't look at the same with the same amount of fear. Like this team is a threat. I look at them as like this team can beat anybody on any given, any given night because they have 30, but in a seven game series throughout the course of the playoffs, sneaky contenders because of who they are. I, you're literally only 
giving them that benefit of the doubt because of who they are in the dynasty. Other than that, based off what we see and the information I have on my own two eyes when I watch them, outside of Steph Curry, they can't score. So why am I fearing them? I'll just tell you, Steph Curry going to have to score 80. Draymond Green as well. Outside of Wiggins, I have issues with Draymond Green. Dog, enough is enough. The antics, the bullshit, like the drama. They need you to perform highly. They don't need you bickering back and forth with Anthony Edwards one night, then Donovan Mitchell the next night, and now you're getting ejected. That shit is done. It's time to perform. 10-6-6, they don't need some more. Obviously, the shit currently ain't working. They need some more. It's time to focus on the game. All of that, I'm the heart, soul. that shit was cool, and it was working. Because you had Steph, you had Clay, you had Durant, you had start, you know, a star-studded team. Still, you, you guys' name still rings bells. But because Clay ain't the same Clay, the Splash Bros ain't having that big of a splash anymore. Because Wiggins ain't doing what he's doing. Because you had the incident with the young bull who was supposed to be next up and could come off the bench for y'all. You ran him out of town. Now he's ain't there. You got to hoop. You got to perform. I don't think nobody in the NBA is scared of you like that, dog. Just keeping it real. Y'all all grown men. Y'all all getting paid to play, so nobody really trying to fight anyway. And this is like the same thing with you. This is like nobody takes it serious anymore. I don't think anybody really is like bothered by that shit no more. It's just like, oh, this is Draymond doing that silly shit again. Here you go. He going to get himself ejected. And you saw what you saw what Don Adventure did. He jucked up the deuce. Anthony Edwards was like, hey, man, hey, all right, watch this. You talking, all right, don't foul me like that. Oh, what, you, what I'm going to do about it? Here, I'm going I'm to give you an L. Hold that L. Boom. Now you hold that L. Because the shit you talking don't mean nothing if you, if, if, if you ain't on shit. What I'm going to do about it, I'm going to give you 30. Here, hold that real quick. What you, now, what you going to do about that? Is, you, <laughs> is next game you going to come out and do something? Oh, okay. All right. Because if Steph ain't, if Steph don't put on a cape, y'all fucked up, right? Oh, okay. So, again, as a guy who's been a fan of Draymond Green, been a fan of the Warriors, love Draymond's uniqueness, incredible, brilliant basketball mind, it's time to hoop. That heart and soul shit, it was cool when you had a lot to back up on, a lot to lean on. The leaning is the is kind of diminishing. You can't really lean. It ain't too many options to lean on. I would man, the Warriors could have had me out there, and I would have been talking my shit if I had Clay Prime, Clay, KD, Steph. I'd have been out there with Draymond too, just just being a heart and soul. Just yacht, yacht, yacht. What? What we doing? <laughs> What's up, the enforcer? They paid you some money this offseason. I don't think it's to do any more of getting injected. I don't think they want you to miss any more games. I don't think they want you to be in any more fights, giving away any more free points at technicals at the technical free throw line. I don't think they want any more of that. I think they want production. <laughs> I, th- I think they want production. Look around, dog. Look around. Wiggins and Wiggins ain't doing shit right now offensively, Draymond. Look around. Kaminga's been cool, Draymond, but he ain't ready for that yet. Look around. Clay, he still shoot it like he primed Clay. The production, it don't equal up. And we all love Clay. Look around, Draymond. 
Clay ain't even get that extension. He might not be back next year. Look around, Draymond. If ain't nobody else going to say it, I'm, I'll say it. The Warriors need Draymond to play basketball because he's capable of doing that. As, as a high IQ guy, he's capable of being a basketball player impacting winning. But the distractions of trying to argue anytime he can argue, fight anytime he can fight, get in the heads of, uh, I, it's old. It's old and it's predictable and it ain't working. So hoop. Now, one of my last teams I'm going to talk about on the losing side before we get into winning, because there are some teams winning. <laughs> I know the way I'm talking, it sounds like only teams are losing out here, but teams are winning. This team, a year ago, or a year and a half ago, but I think a year ago, I looked at this team and I said to myself, this team got everything, man. This team got scoring. They got size, versatility, defense, guards. This team got every damn thing you can imagine. When this team get healthy, man, next year this team might be scary. Man, when this guy come back, this team going to be... Man, when these two dudes get healthy, this team going to be dangerous. Now you fast forward, here we are. And we came into the year and I was looking at all the other teams and I said, hold up, P. This team ain't going to be there. And I had this team falling out. When we was talking about one of the teams can't make it. They were one of my teams. And again, it's still early. Disclaimer, still early. Dog, the Pelicans are on a five-game losing streak. The Pelicans suck. If I'm just being honest, the Pelicans suck. Not the players, because all of those players can hoop, but as a collective group with the production we've gotten thus far, they suck. They are 27th offensively. They're 24th defensively. And they're 11th in pace. So, boom, they get they <laughs> they get shots up uh, throughout the course of 48 minutes. They get a lot of possessions. 11th is cool. I just don't I I don't get it, man. I don't get it. And I came into the I came into the year saying that about two teams. But especially them. The Magic can't stay healthy. They, the Magic always have somebody out of the lineup. Always. 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 You look at the Magic. Oh man, Wendell not playing. Oh man. Oh, uh, Markel not playing tonight. Oh damn. Jalen Suggs out. Gary Harris. Jonathan Knight. Like, it's always somebody. The Pelicans are the same way, except the Pelicans have higher expectations. At least the Magic are young. We're, we we just want to see growth in the Magic. They don't have to make the playoffs or do nothing extravagant. We just want to see them be better than they were last year, and some of those guys take steps. The Pelicans, y'all time are now. Zion ain't on a rookie contract. Ingram ain't on a rookie contract. Y'all have done the little, oh, my gosh, the darling, the young darling. Y'all did that already. Now it's real expectations, and this team cannot stay healthy, man. Trey Murphy. Alvarado, I, I can't remember the last time I seen Jose Alvarado, Alvarado play basketball. Herb Jones has already missed some games. Brandon Ingram has already missed some games. CJ uh, CJ McCollum get well soon. Collapsed lung again. He's out. Zion has missed the games. <laughs> like they have a handful of guys who've played every game. I think Dyson Daniels has played every game. Maybe Jonas Valanciunas has played every game. Um, and there's one more person that I I just, I just can't think of that has played every game. Um, but yeah, this team, Jordan Hawkins, the rookies played every game. This team doesn't look good, man. And I'm I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous 
They also have a player that I'm going to talk about at the reproach. The reproach is the opposite of giving flowers. Giving flowers is positive. The reproach is not as positive. We're, 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 looking, we're looking in critically at some guys and how they perform. And Brandon Ingram is going to be in a reproach. It's not good. Brandon Ingram got this year on his contract and then next year. It's not good. This shit ain't working. I'm afraid that some type of move is going to have to be made and we're never going to see this team at its fullest potential, which is sad. I still remember this team when they had Zoe and Josh Hart. Exciting team. Lobs and fun and pace and running. It was just Zion. It's like, oh, man, when Zion get fully healthy, he figure out his body and different things. Like This team is going to be scary. And they gave us a small glimpse and then Zion was hurt and they went against the Suns in the playoffs and Brandon Ingram was cooking Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges did not look like a top defender at that time. And CJ came in in the middle of the gear and that was like, okay, yeah, this is nice right here. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then after that, they had other draft picks and they was able to get Dyson Daniels and EJ Liddell and they got Herb Jones, who emerged to a top defender in the league. And then they sniped Trey, Trey Murphy. Everything was beautiful and lining up. And now it feel like I don't know what they have. Do they have anything to be 27th on offense with these names on this team? Yeah, they've all missed time, but they ain't missed that much damn time. They played at least 70% of the games that they played. It looked horrible. It looks very bad. And I can't even say it's, man, it ain't like, man, Willie Green. Got to get Willie Green out of there. New Orleans Pelicans fans may feel that way, but you can't just blame this entirely on Willie Green. I, I, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I hate that part of this. When organizations and teams don't live up to the expectations, so they try to scapegoat like it's just a coach. To me, that just that just prolongs the inevitable. There is two things that is wrong when teams aren't winning. It's coaching and it's players. They're 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 like this. They're like this most of the time. You may have a few times where it's just like then the coach is just he's just dumb. Take him out, keep the same exact team, bring him in, and now this team is just different. Very rare. Very rare. And a lot of occasions you see that happen. The players are just excited to have a new coach. So they came out and they was killing. And then the very next year, a lot of those same bad habits come out. <laughs> you know, they were just happy to have it rejuvenated. But then those same issues, those underlining issues, they resurface. True colors are going to show every single time. A toxic person can break up with a person. And now they're changed. They meet new people. And for the first three months of that relationship, they nice, they excited. Honeymoon phase, everything is going well. The toxic tricks come back out. And it's like, oh, that's why you were single to begin with. <laughs> that's why. Oh, that's why y'all was looking for a new coach. Because this shit here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No team this talented don't have any flaws. No team this talented should just be out here on this, the coaching search every couple of years. There's something going on. So I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if I have the answer. But I just know for a team that has that much talent on this roster, it's disappointing to see them on a five-game losing streak looking as bad as they're looking. 27th on offense, 24th on defense, no real identity. The week that Brandon Ingram just had, very disappointing. The week that Zion Williamson just had, very disappointing. They had some of the worst plus minuses this past week of basketball in the four games that they played. It It was disgusting. And now, like I said for the Clippers, like I said for the Lakers, it applies to them as well. 
This is not a year where you want to play catch up. It's not a year. And because they have so much with some of the youth, I think some of these guys may not be on this team anymore. You may have to make Brandon Ingram expendable because you have Trey Murphy. You know what I'm saying? You may have to look at Dyson Daniels and say, hmm, we have Jordan Hawkins. We have Herb Jones. Do we really need? And I like Dyson Daniels. I like Dyson Daniels. Defensively, he's had some really good moments this season for sure. But I'm just thinking about what you have to go out and make improvements on your roster. Somebody got to go. You can't keep everybody and just keep adding to the roster. So Ingram could have value potentially to a team. Dyson Daniels could have value. Um, I don't know what CJ's value would look like on the open market, and I don't know if you want to trade Jordan Hawkins. I would love to have a team where I'm surrounding Zion with Trey Murphy shooting, Jordan Hawkins shooting. I, I, I would want to keep that and tap into that. And then Herb Jones with his defense, it's just like he'll be valuable. But do you want to give up his defense? So we're going to see, and I'm going to watch that closely um, because this team is polarizing. This team was a team that you could come out and see them be have a hot fire start and Zion is the MVP conversation. That was a reality that played out of my mind. But then this is also the reality of like this team just won't be that good because they'll have the same issues that they have year in, year out where somebody's not healthy and they just cannot put it all together. So um, New Orleans, got to get it together, man. Got to get it together. Another team, uh, Spurs, five-game losing streak. They're a young team. It's cool. But, you know, it just feels like some of these young teams that we were so excited for in the opening week is, is starting to catch up. We're closing games and the youth. And all of those type of things are starting to show more and more with the, the experience and older teams who know how to win and grind out games are starting to do that more. So Spurs also on a five-game five losing streak. Teams that are winning. Finally, something the positive to talk about with some of these teams. We talked about the Clippers losing streak. Lakers won last night, but one and five on the road. Not really looking good at four and five. Warriors three-game losing streak. Uh, Pelicans losing streak. Spurs uh, we talked once positively about the Philadelphia 76ers on their eight-game winning streak. The Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets hooping out of his mind, uh, hooping out of their minds. Eme is doing this thing that got this team really, really looking sharp and ahead of schedule. Um, this is a team, again, that I'm a fan of. I claimed before the before the year on the through the wire podcast where our panel, um, Kenny X, outside of your diehard team, what team are you claiming for the year? I claim the Houston Rockets. It's not the first time you hear me say it. It's not the last time you hear me say it. And I claim them with the hopes that they would just get marginally better. I just wanted to see some steps. This is by far way more than what I was asking for. Fifth defensively, ninth offensively. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said it right. Fifth defensively, ninth offensively, sixth game winning streak. Um, only thing I can say they're on two on the road. I want to see them get a road win. But I think things are coming together. Things are coming together. We're starting to see the effort and some of that athleticism and some of that size be put into work on a defensive end. And it brings out really good things. We're starting to also see some of that veteran presence on the floor, on the bench, the locker room. It's starting to show having Jeff Green out there. You know what I'm saying? Having Fred Van Vliet out there. Having Dylan Brooks out there. Those things, Jock Landale out there, those things are helping and they're they're cultivating a culture and a system of accountability. And one of the things I've been seeing and with first time it happened, it was pointed out by a Rockets fan. I cannot remember. I don't know if it was Will or any, anybody else, but I don't want to 
mis, uh, mis, misplaced the credit. But there was a video that this Rocket fan showed where Tari Eason got the basketball, got the rebound. He brought it up the court and he made a move that was uncalled for. Right. It was just not a good shot. It turned into something bad. And he subbed them out. When he walked up to the score, was able to come out of the game. He grabbed him by the waist, talked to him as he walked back to the bench. Explain certain thing. Who knows what was, was what was being said, but what you were seeing was that he was being held accountable because he got removed out of the game. But he was then being coached. It wasn't like a man. What the f- you doing? Go sit down. Come here. This is what happened. This is that's the result on why we don't want you to do that. And this this is why that can't happen, or why we ask you not to do that. And I saw it in real time. Yesterday, I believe, or the day before, the last time, uh, two days ago, I think the Rockets were playing the Nuggets. Or no, that might have been yesterday. Um, And the same thing happened. Tarisen got the basketball, got the rebound, brought it up, and he made a move. And it turned into a fourth shot. That was nothing. And all I see is Jabari Smith heading to the check the scores table to come get Tari Eason. And it seems like what they're trying to coach him to do is not be out of control. Be in control. Get the rebound. If you don't got nothing, give it to that guard. Don't force anything because it's a wasted possession. We got Fred Van Vliet out there. We got Sengun. We got Jalen Green. We don't have to just force shit. Let's give it to one of those guards. Let's set up. And when he doesn't do that, you got to come out holding you accountable. And I, I love that. I love that. I think young players need that. I think we need that a lot more in the NBA, especially because they're starting to try to push out the veteran presence. And the Rockets are going against that grain. They brought in veterans. They spent big money on veterans. And then they're also coaching like a veteran-led team where accountability is a big part of it. You know, you're not just given 35-plus minutes because you're young and have potential. It's like, nah, what are you doing to earn that minutes? What are you doing to earn those shot attempts? What are you doing to earn this, earn that? And that culture is going to be big. And this is why they brought in everything that they brought in. This is why they went out and got e This is why they brought in Fred Van Vliet. This is why they brought in Dylan Brooks. This is why they brought in Jeff Green. It's why they brought in Jock Landale. Because of these reasons. Hey, the Rockets could go on a seven-game losing streak tomorrow. And all of this winning and all you know 10th offense you know top 10 defense offense it can diminish that's not what this first year is about though it's about setting a tone and setting a foundation while seeing improvements as a team collectively and as individuals you want to see Jalen Green take some steps forward he don't have to take everything doesn't have to be this gigantic step fans and basketball people always want this big ass step if you just get better every day, quietly, you're still getting better. And over the course of a year, we'll see those marginal gains. Everything won't be like last year he was a seven-point scorer. This year he's averaging 19. Sometimes it goes from 7 to 8.7 to 9.9 to 11.6 to 15 to 8. Sometimes it's very gradual. Sometimes it's very gradual, but you're still seeing the improvements. I'll take the baby steps versus trying to shoot for the stars. I'm good on that. I'm good on that. And that's what I've been liking um, as a as a person who's a Rockets fan this year and rooting for the Rockets and watching them as much as I have been. I'm just improve. I'm loving the fact that they're improving. I love that they're playing playing through Shingun. Um, when he has the basketball, good things happen because there's there's less predictability with him. He can shoot, 
He can attack. He can post up and drive. Um, he can pass. He can screen. So it just adds so many different folds to the offense versus just predictability. When you have guard-based offenses and you're playing through guards, um, unless they're Shea, Anthony Edwards, like these elite of the elite, it could just get predictable and super easy to guard, especially with young players because they haven't learned as much but through the experience. And you start to see like the the Pistons, right? They're playing, they're doing that right now with Kay Cunningham, and they're 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 having tough stretches because it could get tough. It can get real tough. Um, but the Rockets are playing through him, dribble handoffs. He can hand it off and roll, he can hand it off and pop, he can dive and hit um guys in the corners when the defense defense is rotating collapse. Um, you know, he can pass on back doors and cuts. It just opens up so many more things and options, and I think it's important for those young players to play like that and not just be given the keys and the the offense right away, you know, because they might not be those guys. And if they're not, then you have these superstar habits for role players, <laughs> which I think is a dangerous – it's just dangerous. You know, when a role player or a guy who should be a number two or a number three on a really good team, when he's programmed to play and perform like a number one it can be very detrimental to the team and the offense because there's a lot of bad habits embedded into his um, his basketball IQ. And um, playing through Shingoon will allow Jabari to do things that I see him doing last night, crashing the glass hard, getting tips in, tip and putbacks and different things like that, cutting, you know, moving. You start, you look around at some of these aging stars and you see that they can't play certain ways because they've been programmed and, you know, the habits are habitual to where like, yeah, James Harden don't really know what to do when he don't have the basketball. He's too bright of a mind to not know what the fuck to do when he doesn't have the basketball. So I'm loving that from the Rockets. And then obviously they should have always been defending. That that should be the easy part for them because they're so athletic with so much length and size and energy um, that that was that should have always been there. So I'm happy to see them doing that. On the other side, out west, you have the Timberwolves. Timberwolves are thriving, um, undefeated at home. Six-game winning streak as well. Number one defense in the league. Anthony Edwards is looking like a star. Um, He's thriving and doing his thing. Rudy is back to being the most dominant defensive anchoring center in the league. Defensive player of the year looks like um, it's his throughout the first few weeks of the season. Carl Anthony Towns is getting back into the mode. He's fitting uh, really, really well. Um, Again, he had some rough patches, and I think it won't be the last time we see that, but it's not looking like anything that's detrimental to the team so far. Even with his his struggles, they were winning games, and I think that's the most important thing. And if there is ever a part where his struggles affect the team to where they're losing and not playing at the fullest potential, then I think we start to panic and talk about trades and movements. Obviously, when a player isn't playing at that level, getting paid as much as him, you have to think about that. But if if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. That's what I. That's the philosophy I come from behind. Like, if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. But as soon as you see any broken pieces, you have to go and fix it. And if Cat becomes a broken piece, then we'll talk about trading him or he's a problem or what are they going to do about this. But until then, I'll say you keep going. Let him continue to figure it out. Um, and we saw, we see when he is doing his thing that we expect him, this team is even better. So as long as he's buying into the defensive part of the basketball, I think the offense will take care of itself. And he continues to be a guy who, when he's on the floor, this team is better. And that that is exactly what matters. Um, I'm just interested to see, again, the sustainability of this. Because we are only 9, 10, 11 games into the season for these teams, you're excited for the Timberwolves, 
But you're definitely in the back of your mind like, man, is this real? Like, are they a top three team out West? Is this legitimate? Or are they just getting off to a hot start? So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch for the next month or so. Them continue to progress. Um, and whether they're number two out West or whether they're number six or seven, I think, again, they're not going to be a team that one of those top seeds want to have to face in the first round. It's just not. It's just not. So I'm wishing health and um, consistency to the Timberwolves because they're as fun to watch as anybody. And they have some very impressive wins against the Celtics, against the Nuggets. They just beat the Warriors last night. And uh, Anthony Edwards looks primed. He looks like he knows who he is and where he at right now and the hierarchy of the NBA. And um, he's 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 hitting that level and that threshold. Um, another team. Miami quietly won five in a row after having a little slow start to the season. Um, that's that's good to see for them. I believe they started with like one and four. I believe they're like six and four now. A big credit to that. I'm giving I'm, I'm giving that to Bam. They lost Tyler Hero with the ankle injury. Bam has has came out the gate and been the player that I think a lot of us has wanted to see from him um, offensively with the aggression and the scoring. And he's been playing out of his mind, which makes me extremely happy to see for them because they did lose a lot this offseason. They don't look like one of those overwhelmingly favorite teams, especially when you look at the top of the East with the Bucks and the Sixers. Uh, even with the Bucks' struggles, we're anticipating that the Bucks are going to figure some things out. Um, they are, they're kind of like, man, they cool and they good, but like, can they do what they did last year? And it was looking a little funny to start, but now Miami is looking like the team that we come in each year respecting, and it's on the back of Bam Adebayo. You know what I'm saying? Um, they're tenth defensively, which is where they they're holding their 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 head at right now, um, and they were able to to pick up a, a really good win the other day, um, and I like that. I like that. And shout out to Bam. But I think when it comes playoffs, if he's playing like this, and you know what you're going to get from Jimmy and Tyler Hero has been playing really well, this team has to be considered again. They just have to be. You can never count them out. I don't. I didn't come into the year thinking that they would be some top five dangerous team or anything like that. But I told people I'm still going to respect them no matter where I put them because I know what they can do playoff time. I know what they can do. So Miami, another team on a winning streak. Um, and it's been quiet. It hasn't been a loud win streak where everybody's like, look at the look at the heat. And it's because the Rockets are doing their thing. It's because the Timberwolves are doing their thing. Everybody's talking about James Harden and the Clippers right now. So they're quietly going under the radar winning. And I think that's the Miami Heat way. They rather quietly do their shit, quietly have some improvements from some guys and, and, and get some guys going. Josh Richardson had a really good game recently, Kyle Lowry. And um, yeah, so shout out to the Miami Heat. Now for one of the last parts of the podcast that I am introducing the flower segment where I, where I give some flowers. The first flowers I want to give is to the duo of Kyrie and Luca. This past week, their duo went three and one with Luca averaging 33, five and seven on 58% shooting 45% from three 84% from the free throw line. Very extraordinary numbers. He continues to play incredible basketball. Um, Kyrie Irvin, 26 points, five, uh, rebounds and six assists. So he's he's getting into his groove. Forty seven percent from three, fifty three percent from uh, no forty seven percent from the field, fifty percent from three, eighty seven percent from the free throw line. They man, they, they they had a couple of games where they were just trading off and just going back and forth. The last game they played, they were just going and going and going and going. So um, 
for all the people that were saying, can they coexist? They're second. They have the second best offense in the NBA. They're thriving. Um, and they're getting a head start. They're doing what is important, which is to get that head start so you don't have to play catch up later on in the year. And I like to see that. And uh, it's working. The next person I want to give flowers to, like I just said a few minutes ago, Bam Adebayo. Him and the Miami Heat went undefeated this week. He averaged 25 points per game, 14 rebounds, and five assists with two blocks and two steals. He shot 54% from the field, 100% from three, and 85% from the free throw line. Obviously, the three-point shooting wasn't um, a lot, very minimal. And what I love about it is that Bam is getting to the free throw line eight and a half times over that week span. So that shows the aggression and the force and him getting to the free throw line is, is is important for him. Get some easy ones there, and he's shooting really, really good at the free throw line. Um, the last guy I want to give some flowers to, obviously there's so many guys that you could be eligible to get flowers. But obviously, like I said in the intro, I can't talk about every player and everybody's favorite player. But um, R.J. Barrett, Knicks are 3-0, uh, 25 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 53% from the field, 58% from 3, 92% from the free throw line. If you are a Knicks fan or you know about the Knicks or you know about R.J. Baird, him shooting the ball like that takes us to an entirely different level. And when he was hurt and missing games, it showed, it affected us. And when he came back, it showed that he was what we were missing. So I'm loving what I'm getting from R.J. Baird. He's playing out of his mind. Another guy, obviously, that could be eligible for the flowers we talked about earlier but Tyrese Maxey the 50 point game um I want to give him love again for that in case anybody's like man how could you not do Maxey it's because we talked about him at the opening of the uh episode with the less is more theory and then the reproach the opposite of giving flowers Kay Cunningham and the Detroit Pistons just had a really tough week man really tough week all year long um I've been as a turnover police holding Cade accountable because he's been turning the ball over really, really, really crazily. But this past week, on four, right? 21 points, five rebounds, six assists a game for Cade. And that four-game span, he shot, let me make sure I'm getting this right, 38% from the field, 17% from the three-point line, 91% from the free throw, and four turnovers a game. So the turnovers are still high. He's not making three-point shots. He's not making any shots, and they are looking bad. I believe they're on an eight-game losing streak. They're two and nine now after starting two and one, and this is a team that a lot of us was like, could they be doing the similar things that the Rockets are doing? No, Mm-mm. they got a lot to figure out, and that's again because of the same way in Houston. When you're playing through a guard early in his career, and there's so much to figure out, that's a hard position to play. It can get tough. And it's getting ugly right now. They got a lot of different things going on. The Jaden Ivey thing is starting to grow legs and become this thing. You hearing rumors, don't know what's true, what's not. Um, yeah. Detroit has some some things that they need to figure out. They, they really do. Um, another guy on this list, Brandon Ingram. I talked about it earlier when we talked about the five-game losing streak for the Pelicans. This past week, Brandon Ingram and the Pelicans went 0-4. 0-4, man. 0-4. 24 points a game for him. Four rebounds, five assists, three turnovers a game, 67%. No, I'm sorry, 47% from the field, 21% from three, and 65% from the free throw line. It's not Brandon Ingram type shit. 
Way too talented of a player. I don't know what's going on over there. Too many turnovers. Zion as well. Zion had like four turnovers a game this past week. Seven turnovers between your two best players, and neither of them are like point guards. Obviously, Ingram, point four, can operate and facilitate, but still, these guys should not be having seven turnovers a night between the two of them. And the 0-4 just showed that they, they, they have some issues out there in New Orleans that they have to address. And I will be very surprised, again, if they don't address them this trade deadline. We're going to hear rumblings about the Pelicans and their future and what's going on. And I'm just hoping for them that they don't boil up, boil up and over into Zion. Is Zion going to be there type shit? We already went through that a little bit. I don't think they want to have to hear that resurface because that is not ideal for the Pelicans. Jordan Poole is my next guy, man. The Wizards 1-3 this week. 15 points. 15. Two rebounds and four assists. And also averaging four fouls. What, the, what are you doing out there? You're just hacking? Just running around? Not even trying to guard? Just fouling? 15? There should be no week where Jordan Poole is averaging 15 points on a team like this. This team is not good. This team is not good at all. Shout out to Bilal. He had a standout game. Uh, after I said he was special. <laughs> so people just want me to say nice things about all of their players now so they can have these breakout games. 41% from the field, 30% from three, 80% from the free throw line. Just not good for Jordan Poole. And I was accepting. I was accepting. Quickly I saw, hey, this might be another de- developmental year for, for Jordan Poole. This might not be the breakout year. He may still have a year of development. But, man, this is not it at all. Too much money, too much talent. Too much opportunity now that you're not in Golden State. Dog, you have to figure it out, Jordan Poole. You have to. Too many guys are rooting for you, liking you, supporting you, and it's a lot that the Wizards are putting on the stock of you being this player that you're not being right now. So, Jordan Poole, come on. And then last but not least, to close out this, Andrew Wiggins. Three-game losing streak for the Warriors, one and three on a week. He's averaging eight points, five rebounds, and one assist. 36% from the field, seven, right? Or is that nine? Sorry, my handwriting was small. 9% from three, excuse me, and 30% from the free throw line, man. I'm getting this shit right. 30% from the free throw line, 9% from three on eight points. The Warriors need more from you, Andrew Wiggins. They need more. As always, man, I appreciate y'all. I think we had another incredible episode. We're an hour and 18 minutes in. We're an hour and 15 minutes plus. Incredible stuff. I love episodes like this where there's just so much basketball to talk about. We talked about how many teams. I want to just see how many teams got mentioned today. We talked about the Clippers. We talked about the Sixers. We talked about the Lakers. We talked about the Warriors, the Rockets, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Spurs, the Heat. Um, that's that's what nine teams right there. We talked about nine teams in depthly, and then also the teams that got mentioned because of certain guys getting their flowers or certain guys having their reproach. But I think we touched on a lot of things around the NBA. I would love to know. So let me know if you throughout the course of the, the episode did i touch on everything i'm we may not have said things about the i don't think we said anything about the bulls well we mentioned zach levine i don't think we said anything about the jazz i don't think we said anything about um yeah i just don't remember saying anything about the jazz the hornets Lamelo had a, a really good week averaging 30 they're just not winning 
and it doesn't look like it's impacting anything. But yeah, I, I love episodes like this, man. The less is more theory. Um, let me know y'all thoughts about every single thing that was talked about, whether it's the less is more theory, players that deserve some flowers, players that deserve reproach, your feelings and thoughts about these teams that we went depthly into. Um, I love y'all. I appreciate y'all as always. And I will see you guys next week. I am Pee Wee The Plug. This is the Heliocentric Podcast. I'm out. Peace.